You don't have to change the world to change your world. A lack of social unity within the Islamic community, within the Islamic youth. These things make people's souls light on fire. Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, thank you, gentlemen, for reaching out. Uh, looks like you guys are doing some great stuff out there. Why don't you start by giving me a little snippet again of who you are, what you do, why it matters, and then we can get into the uh, questions that you uh, shared with me, inshallah. Thank you very much, Mr. Sarah Jeldon. It's a true honor to be with you um, and to be able to do this with you. Uh, my name is Abdullah Yusufzai, and the other person on the call is Shamir Zeshan. We are on the team for the International Muslim Public Action Team, which I founded a while back. Basically, our goal is to uh, spread information to help fight stereotypes about Islam, uh, spread knowledge about uh, ongoing crises, for example, COVID-19, um, and also to help local communities and to help global communities who are vulnerable. If you go on our website, you can see a list of projects that we have done and uh, things like that and a quick bio about us. So that is just a very quick introduction about us. Excellent. Excellent. And you guys both are in college currently or finished college? Uh, we're we're going actually into our, uh, yeah. You're in high school. Yes, we yes. are both going into our junior year. MashaAllah, MashaAllah, even better. Get them while they're fresh and young. MashaAllah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And where are you guys calling in from? Uh, me, personally, I'm from uh, Northeast New York City, and uh, Abdullah here, he's from uh, Virginia. Nice. I grew up in Massachusetts myself. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, we got the East Coast thing going for us. So let's be sharp and, and direct. How, what do you say? <laughs> New Yorker, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Inshallah, the plan is that I'm just going to ask the first two, and then Shamir is going to be asking the next two, if that's okay. Sounds great. All right. So the first question we would like to ask you would be with regards to social media. A common trend that we are seeing these days is that a lot of people just, you know, post these hot issues or hot topics on their Facebook stories, their Instagram stories, their timeline or whatever. But that may not necessarily be the most effective way in combating those problems, right? So we wanted to ask you and get your perspective on what is the most effective method on combating the hot issues that are going on today and why social media may not necessarily be the, the best platform for doing so? Thank you for that question. Well, gentlemen, I, you know, I was given this more thought and of course, my, all my answers are going to be general feedback and advice. So we're not talking about particulars or exceptions and so forth, okay? So just, just to make that clear. Um, the first thing is that uh, the first step to change always requires awareness, right? So self-awareness, awareness of what's happening. And by sharing content on social media, we are helping with this step of being aware of what's happening in this place or that place, or that these solutions are being proposed or worked on in this place or that place. So I don't think that social media in and of itself, you know, sharing posts or 
um, news or whatever is ineffective in and of itself. No, because it helps with that first step of change, which is become aware of the problem so that now there is a solution. However, if everybody only posts stuff and says, hey, look at what's happening here and look at what's happening there, and that's all we do, then of course nothing will actually change. But the way I look at it is imagine the, the, the pie of change is like a pizza and everybody has a different slice to play in that role. Some people are going to be down on the ground at protests or at organizations or doing research or helping market or brand certain organizations with these causes. And some people will be really good at networking and posting and sharing. So the way I see it is everybody has a significant role. And like myself, for example, I'm not going to be marching or, or going you know, somewhere on the ground anytime soon, simply just because my lifestyle currently can't accommodate you know, such um, roles in, in certain causes. Uh, and so people are going to have to recognize what they're capable of doing within their needs. And once they are able to identify those things, whether it's, you know, I'm going to be able to go out and, and actually do things with my hands or my mouth or my uh, tongue, you know, sharing info, educating, or if I can't do either, then there is at least some orientation or attitude in my heart. Like as the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu said, if you see a wrong, you try to change it with your hands, your tongue. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, then at least make meaning of it properly in your heart. In other words, reject it or feel that disdain for what you're seeing because you know it's wrong. Because that right there can be a seed for you in 10 years to actually do something practical about it. So we have mm -hmm. to at least orient ourselves appropriately. So from that sense, you know, when it comes to youth, yes, you know, posting and sharing may be very easy because a lot of us are on our phones all day anyways, but we have to ask ourselves, you know, how do I take an idea or a cause or a vision or a value and operationalize it? And this is, you know, sometimes tricky for people, but I would say that not everybody can do the same things. And that's why we have to um, invite everybody to do what they can, whether it's posting, getting on the ground getting on a phone call like this to coordinate, collaborate, et cetera. And all those things, you know, will take time anyways. And so just making sure you're moving slowly is still better than sitting still and doing nothing. Um, I, maybe that answered your question. If not, feel free to expand on that. Well, Marshall, that was an amazing answer. Um, yeah, and really provided some great perspective. But I think your point on, you know, it's better to at least crawl if you can't, you know, do anything. I think that brings up this good discussion that, you know, do we tend to take the easy way out when it comes to these situations, right? When we see that, you know, Uyghur Muslims are dying in China, when we see that there's a crisis going on in Yemen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, do we just tend to, you know, take the easy way out by, oh, sharing this post on our social media story and, uh, not having much concern about it, or would you still yourself consider that that is a good first step? Well, of course. I mean, again, it's a, the first step of change is awareness. So if someone's posting or sharing, that's them doing something. Now, whether or not they can do more and they're not doing more or they can, they want to do more, but they can't. I mean, nobody knows those answers, right? We, we actually don't know who's at home just posting because, and they're down the street from the, the very cause that they're posting about, you know, but uh, I think that it's still better than nothing because it shows that people are trying to engage with this vital information, which 
either today or tomorrow, will forge, inshallah, some intentions for practical solutions to these things, right? And so the way I see it is it's better to share this information and post it versus do nothing because I feel guilty that I'm not actually going to be able to do anything. I mean, if I'm 12 or 15 or, you know, or otherwise, you know, I may not have, I don't have a car or license. I don't have necessarily a lot of cash to donate, or I may not be taken seriously if I do try to do something and collaborate with, let's say, an organization, right? But it's a good thing there's, you know, gentlemen like yourselves who are young in age who may be able to help access, um, you know, these youth who probably won't be taken seriously if they go to, let's say, you know, a board or something otherwise, perhaps. Thank you very much for that answer. Uh, Shamir, do you have any follow-up questions or anything you want to say? Uh, no, not really. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Sarajeldin, is it okay if you move on to the next question now? Sure. All right. So you kind of got into it um, in the last part of your answer. But our next question would be, you know, when you're under 18, you don't have a lot of money. You don't have a lot of connections, things like that, that I guess you would say a adult would. So what are some suggestions that you would give to people under the age of 18 to strengthen their Islamic communities? Excellent question. So I would say let's follow the following steps. I tried to put these together in a um, simple way for people. So the first thing is we need to learn, identify the needs or the problems or the voids that exist in my community. Okay, And one thing that's important for youth to reflect on is you don't have to change the world to change your world. You don't have to, you know, cause a revolution or, you know, somehow meet a president to do something impactful or significant. By Allah, if you are focused on just feeding the 20 homeless people in your neighborhood, let's say, that's you changing the world in your corner of the world. And to get to Jannah, it doesn't require massive, you know, social public impact, right? Ultimately, what gets you to Jannah is your sincerity and devotion and service to creation while the creator is in your vision doing those things. So that's why if you focus on just, let's say, your family or your neighborhood, which is how Islam is designed, you know, like with Zakat, yeah. for example, you start with the most immediate radius. You don't, you don't donate to people in Africa if there are hungry, homeless people in your city. That doesn't make sense. You focus on what's closest to you. So the first thing is identify the needs or the voids that your community may have, whether it's the Islamic community or outside of your community, right? B, or number two, would be once I identify the needs or problems that we have, uh, the second step would be to start to try to create or design a plan that can take these solutions into operation. And that may require, you know, more help from others. But essentially, it's about identifying a problem. Let's say we know that there's, you know, 48 people in my neighborhood who are currently homeless or who are financially, you know, suffering. They don't have food. Their kids don't have milk or whatever. And this becomes now a problem or a void that I want to help solve in my area. So now I have to consider designing a plan. And that would look like, okay, what do these families need? Um, what resources do we need? Um, and what's it going to take to, let's say, solve this problem of feeding 48 people in my neighborhood? Are we going to feed them just this week? Or are we going to try to create something that's long term, 
right? So then we may get to a place where we're, you know, creating a simple website, trying to find sponsors to donate five, 10 bucks a month in our neighborhood. You knock on doors, you email people, you present it at the masjid and so forth. And then, you know, you're starting to now operationalize a solution to a problem that you've identified. And that takes us to number three, which is once I have a plan that's designed and, you know, as best as possible, I have the process for accomplishing this goal. Number three would be to take this plan and present it and share it to those that can aid or help with resources or parts of that process. So if nobody knows how to make a website, you take it to someone who can make a website. If nobody has money, you take it to some uncles or people in the area, aunties, mom and dad who have cash or who know people who have cash who could you know, give five or 10 bucks you know, a month, let's say. Part three is to present this and connect it to others, like adults in your case, right, who are older, uh, who can help with the resources that you two or your the youth may not have direct access to. You follow? So yes. that those are the three steps that I think we have to consider um, as far as identifying needs, designing a plan, presenting it, and then you try to operationalize it. And these things will take time, right? Nothing happens overnight. You know, there's plenty of examples of what what these needs may be. But a few could be like simple, like feeding the needy or the hungry. You know, um, that could be something you do getting involved with a current organization that already exists in your area. Or it could be something you have to build from the ground up. I think that one thing the Muslim communities are still developing. We, we tend to have, you know, nice masajid in many places. We have Islamic schools usually. So those two we have, you know, happening and they could always, they need improvements and growth for, you know, decade to decade. But I feel like oftentimes we're lacking, you know, clear social services for our community and others. For instance, you know, how many masajid have alcohol or sex addicts anonymous groups? Not many. Yeah. How many of them, how many masajid themselves have like churches, homeless people show up and they feed them or it's in the parking lot or whatever? Not many. Um, you know, considering solar energy, for instance, could be another thing in the next 10, 20 years, like getting solar panels on every masjid, you know, us trying to be eco-friendly and clean. Being green isn't a very strong, I would say, variable in a lot of Islamic talks and, and khutbahs and stuff. At least when I was growing up, you know, you didn't hear much of like part of the sunnah is to be green. I mean, last Eid, I remember they were still serving, you know, the morning donuts and coffee and tea with styrofoam cups. I'm just like, are you kidding me? You know, mm. like, this is embarrassing. If somebody saw this, like, this is like one of the deadliest things you could be using. And we're still using styrofoam cups, for instance, right? So there's a lot of things that, as far as social services go, there's, of course, always things we can enhance in. And besides the social services, some examples of, you know, community building efforts with for the youth in particular um, I can get into, but I'll stop there first to make sure I, I answered your question. No, you definitely did give a great answer. And just a quick follow-up question on that, because you brought up a great point. And I really liked your action plan. You know, you first off start by identifying the problem. Then you fundraise for that issue. You kind of gain support. And then you uh, operationalize it, right? And, you know, with your background in psychology and everything, and after listening to a few of your recent podcasts, you know, this issue has come up frequently, right, where there is a lack of social unity within the Islamic community, within the Islamic youth, but rather it's more of like a 
aunt, which auntie is better, which uncle is better, which auntie drives the, you know, the Tesla with the, the wing doors kind of thing. So I think first thing we need to do is kind of build this social unity between our uh, Muslim brothers and sisters. What, what do you think, Brother Sarah Jeldon? Um, I think it's a beautiful wish, but I don't think it's something one should spend too much time on because it's highly unlikely to unify everybody, right? Mm. Sadly, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Even the Sahaba, who were the best generation and lived with the Prophet, they had very big differences in some points of their history, and they, you know, even took sides, right? So this concept of we have to unify everybody first, and then we can get more things done, I think that's frankly not going to be the best use of time because it's it's if the best generation couldn't necessarily do it i don't think we're going to have a, a good chance of doing that so i don't think that's the right way to approach getting things done right okay what, what you should do is unify and connect with those who are already functioning on the same frequency and worldview as you are right just cut yeah. the fat out you know it's easier to collaborate with those that already agree with you than to spend time with and to make those who disagree with you, you know, conform. You get my point. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. I didn't think about that. And, you know, that's if if the greatest generation couldn't do it, then how can we do it? You bring up a good point. And of course, it will always be impossible to have a sense of unity between everyone because there's always going to be some level of difference. Where you, what's your ethnic background, Abdullah? Um, so my parents, grandparents are from Pakistan. How about you? Uh, sh was it Shamir? Sorry. Yeah, uh, same. Uh, my parents and grandparents, they're both from Pakistan. Okay. So everything you guys know about Pakistanis and all the various types of Pakistanis, imagine you dedicate the rest of your life unifying every Pakistani. What is that? Like 250 million, 300 million people yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. It's a make, them, make, make them all unified. Can you guys, you guys, you know, when you really think about that, everything you know about your culture and your people, doesn't that sound like it's probably not the best way to use all your time and resources? <laughs> Just as a small example, you know. So imagine now the Ummah, who is probably the most diverse religious community on the planet, mm. right? That's a fact. So, you know, that's why I don't think that's necessarily the pipeline to get where we need to go. Of course. Brother Kareem, I know you talked about bringing up a few examples about how the youth can help with social change. Uh, would you mind sharing a few of them just so we can get a better idea and share these ideas with our listeners? So, you know, before I mentioned things like feeding the needy, um, focusing on clean, you know, green, eco-friendly community environments. So this can mean, you know, considering solar panels, if there's no recycling and compost bins at your local masjid, you know, implementing these things, um, getting youth together on a nice Sunday, you know, morning to clean up the trash at the masjid. If there is, you know, some masjids have, mashallah, very big facilities and basketball courts and gardens, but there's also trash sometimes lying around for a long time, right? So picking yes. up bottles and cleaning up and, and those, those types of things. But the point I also wanted to mention is, Building your community is also about investing in the community, right, in the people of the community. So that's why I was saying social services is really important. And the other part of social services is for youth especially, activities and events that help them have a stronger sense of identity, purpose, cause. And that doesn't mean that it's always about some political, social cause. It could also mean 
that we are organizing ourselves to stay fit and healthy, you know, sports, activities, games, um, aesthetics is, is pretty much absent in our Muslim centers. I mean, we don't have any art or music or poetry. Uh, these things make people's souls light on fire with passion and drive and value. And Islam isn't just about going to a masjid, listening to a lecture, taking notes and going home. You know, historically, we are a very rich civilization from science and art to, you know, behavioral and human knowledge. I mean, these things aren't always um, emphasized in our communities, right? So I think that this is also really important is for youth to recognize there's more to life than just, you know, do well at school, go to a good school, college, get a good job, marry a good person that your parents approve of and try not to sin. Life is a theater to flourish and blossom your existence because Allah chose all of us to be here. And we're meant to also discover more of the meaning of why I'm here and you're here. And that means there are specific talents as well as growth areas that we have to become aware of to maximize our talents as well as improve our growth areas or our flaws. So I think this is also an important thing for youth to consider, right, is, you know, life isn't just about academics, trying to be a good Muslim as it's been presented to you by the community or the elders, and that's it. It's like, no, where is the aesthetic, you know, component of our life, which is really what makes culture culture. It's about the colors and the flavors of the people, right, and not just the food, although that's a great part of it. But, you know, historically, all of our cultures have had rich legacies of science, of spiritual religious knowledge and literature, and of aesthetic humanities, essentially. So that's another thing that I feel youth can also direct some energy towards, is creating spaces that allow these things to happen. So, for instance, you know, a cafe, or it doesn't even have to be something you build, but it could be about, like, let's meet at the cafeteria at the masjid or the Islamic school of our area, and use it to, you know, do music or art lessons or poetry, have some tea and coffee and discuss things. Uh, and, of course, learning things about Islam or otherwise is important, too. But it's not enough. You know, we also want to nourish the major dimensions of the human condition, which includes emotional intelligence and aesthetics and art. Um, it's not a coincidence that the Quran itself is by definition, and some people may not like this, but it is by definition a musical recitation in that music simply is anything that has harmonious, melodic, beautiful sound waves. And the Quran certainly is that. And it has a rhythm and it has a timing to it. Tajweed, the science of Tajweed, there's a specific way to recite Quran, just like there's a right way to play a musical scale or have be in timing and rhythm. And so I think that sometimes we neglect this very important and crucial part of the human experience. MashaAllah, that's a beautiful answer, Mr. Kareem. Thank you for tuning in to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. Please sponsor the show at patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem. We'll be right back after this short break.
Alrighty, that's awesome. Um, inshallah, now Shamir will be asking the remaining questions. And thank you very much, Brother Karim. Thank you. Could you uh, share with us how a lack of communication, whether it's a stereotypes slash misconceptions, could result in moderate Islam or modern Islam? Yeah, so you guys going to have to expand on that because I'm not really sure... What, sure. you, so, what you mean by modern Islam and um, like, what exactly, uh, how does stereo, yeah, maybe you can expand on that. Yeah, so like what other, you know, non-Muslims think of Islam. So like anyone else's point of view on what we believe. I guess what we're trying to ask is how can we help fight this global crisis of a misinformation on Islam? How can we, what are some tips that you would give on fighting this issue of Islamic stereotypes and misinformation that is especially spiked after 9-11? Well, like, like the other responses, I think a good rule of thumb is to think globally and act locally. If people in your own neighborhood in New York or Virginia, you know, don't, still don't know what Islam is, really is about, these efforts of you know doing dawah or an interfaith day or community barbecue or feed the hungry and you try to teach people when they come right i mean the prophet said spread salam and feed the people if you just do those two things you're going to create safety and bridging the gaps in all communities right because everybody needs to eat and nobody says no to free food right and when you're spreading salam you're spreading peace and friendship and safety in your community so this is one way that we can do this is we try to organize um, events or even events online where let's say five Muslim kids, you know, answer questions from, you know, whoever wants to join that uh, online group meeting or whatever, right? That's one thing you can do as a community. But from my experience, most Muslims are pretty misinformed about their own tradition. Right, and I don't want to embarrass either of you, but if I asked you to translate to me the Fatiha word by word, not like a general meaning, but what does actually each word mean? Most people don't know this, and that's what you need to make your salah valid, the most basic surah, the first surah. So, oftentimes, we have to ask ourselves if what do I know and what do I still need to thoroughly understand? And we have to also invest on our own knowledge. And this doesn't mean you're reading online articles and watching YouTube videos of, you know, this sheikh or that imam. That's not actual traditional knowledge, right? That's exposure to knowledge. That's, you may learn things here and there. But there are many people who study a lot of Islam independently online. And I've seen it happen where they're gung-ho about the deen and then they're not because they went to a couple of websites that, just threw off their whole theology or made them doubt and so forth because they didn't have a mentor or an experienced teacher who can guide them on the path because the path is not a straight trajectory up of iman and you know and you know enlightenment you're going to have waves of ups and downs and dips and confusion along the way even while you're praying and even while you're a good kid Right. So you need some you need mentors and elders who have that knowledge and experience of taking this path seriously and who can guide people. And again, this isn't also about people who just have a lot of stuff memorized. It's about people who are creative, 
who have responses to the youth that seems intellectually, spiritually, and morally sound. This is important because, you know, sometimes there is what we call an authority fallacy, which is, well, if the person has a turban or wears a suit or they're head of some organization, then they also may know everything I need to know about Islam. But the reality is nobody knows everything about Islam. Everybody has something and we all need each other to accomplish more of that knowledge together, right? Nobody has all the answers or all the understanding. And most people um, are, are not necessarily uh, going to guide you in the best way if they don't understand the context of, let's say, a young person or um, otherwise. So I think that we have to start with ourselves first, because if you're going to teach people, you can't give what you don't have. So if you don't really have good responses or understanding of common stereotypical, let's say, questions or pokes at Islam, you know, then this is where you can equip yourself with this knowledge, right? Because you can say, well, people don't understand Islam. And then you go knock on Larry's door and say, hey, neighbor, we, you know, we'd like to teach you about Islam. And then he starts throwing at you Fox 25, you know, uh, questions. And you're like, uh, I don't know how to answer that stuff. You're, you're going to walk away maybe more doubtful yourself, right? So that's my response for now. You made a really valid point. Uh, and then what you said about uh, a lot of people, uh, when you said throwing Fox questions, Oh, your neighbor throwing Fox questions at you just by asking about Islam. Even though if you don't start somewhere, you have to start somewhere. It's like, you know, you get somewhere, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You have to start by looking at yourself and improving yourself. That's a that's an excellent point, Mr. Sarah Jeldon. Of course. I mean, it's uh, it's not about... It, it, sometimes people like take dawah and getting shahadas. It's almost like sales. You know, it's like, oh, dude, I got another shahada. Oh, dude, I sold, uh, you know, this yeah. guy, you know, convinced this person. It's like, dude, it's not about that. You know, it's about Allah. And the only reason why you would want to make dawah to people in my opinion, is because the experience you've had from your relationship with Allah, doing your best to practice Islam with sincerity, right, and properly, that feeling is sweeter than anything else on the planet. And if I knew that feeling, and I love for my brother and sister in humanity what I love for myself, then this is now the drive to call people to Islam. It's not about we're just, you know, it's some superiority complex or or maybe it's an inferiority complex, right? Like some people, they feel inferior for being Muslim, but somehow if they get some, you know, white person to, let's say, take shahada, it's like somehow they feel validated in their own religion. It's like, no, that shouldn't be the motive, right? The motive should be, because I love Allah, I love my brothers and sisters in humanity. I believe this is what's best for humankind. And I want to really represent this properly for the sake of God, and my divine relationship is the primary one. And that is what will drive us, right? It's not because I want, you know, um, applause at the local masjid or to make my parents happy that I make da'wah and they can tell their friends at the next iftar or dinner, right? It's like, no. But sometimes we have to recognize that even we can be using Islam for the na- in the name of our own ego, right? Sometimes yeah. Islam is used as an ego-building endeavor, rather than a sincere path or trajectory to Allah. So this is just something for people to keep in mind because 
um, it can be confusing sometimes, right? It's like, I don't get it. I thought I was doing good things because it's all in the name of Islam. But it's like, well, it depends on your intentions and the purpose, yeah, right? Exactly. Reminds me of another point that your actions are based upon your intentions, you know? Absolutely. If you have a real, legitimate, genuine intention to actually convert this person to Islam because of how much you yourself love Islam and what it has done for you in your life, rather than, you know, just making the aunties and uncles clap for you, you know, your actions are judged by your intentions. So it kind of goes without saying, but you, the best actions are done with a genuine sincerity for what you're doing. Correct. And that, and that also means that I am not actually responsible for anyone becoming Muslim, right? It's, I'm just a means, you know, Allah's actually using me. You work for God. So you don't actually, you're not the reason or the credit for Shahada anyways, right? Allah is the one who's giving the person guidance, but it's also because the person wants it or is seeking it or is making effort. And then there's a person on the other end who's serving a role like, like yourself, who's the one who's answering questions or, you know, advising books or, you know, spending time with this person. But that's all, Allah's just using the person for what his will ultimately will be for that other person who's not Muslim get my point so even the way we think about it we can lack sincerity and i'm not saying you guys are i'm just again pointing out the subtleties of how we think and what we say to ourselves actually influences our moods our attitudes and our behaviors this is very important that's true thank you very much for that answer Alrighty, um inshallah we'll move to our last question that shamir will ask and then we'll wrap things up okay Right, so as uh, Abdullah mentioned before, our last question is, what are some methods for youth to stay mentally healthy during this pandemic? What are methods for youth to stay mentally healthy during this pandemic? All right. All right, here's what I'll just share with you what Kareem's been doing, because in my context, for those people who don't know, I spend, you know, anywhere between six to ten hours doing consulting counseling for the Muslim community. And that means I have a lot of mental, emotional strain on a daily basis. I also have three children who are very young and that's also a lot of mental, emotional strain, right? So I'm I'm giving everyone the context so no one can say, you know, oh, well, his life is easy and mine isn't. So I'm dealing with a lot of mental, emotional strain on top of what's happening for everybody, okay? Now here's what I'm doing to make sure I'm taking care of myself. These are my, you know, COVID rules, if you will. Number one, get outside at least once a day, okay? This doesn't mean you have to go to the mall or go out to a restaurant. It's just 10, 15 minutes a day, go outside, sit outside, take a walk, grab the mail, take out the trash, you know, do some lawn work, go for a jog, shoot some hoops, at least 10 to 15 minutes a day. Some people, from my experience during this COVID time, the isolation has taken another level where like I've spoken to people like, dude, I haven't left the house in like two to three weeks. It's like, oh my God, you know, and you start to lose your head, right? Because it's not natural for you to be in a box all day. Get outside once a day, I think is one way to help your mental emotional status because getting the sun on your face, breathing some fresh air, being around greenery when possible is very important. Which takes me to number two, when possible, try to be around something green and natural like a park. Um, If you have access to things like this, just sitting somewhere, if it's a green field with some trees, 
just sitting there actually helps your mental, emotional, and physical state because you are from the earth and the, and the sky. So we have to also get back to that setting more often than not. The setting of a house or a car or an office is not a natural setting for the human being, right? Remember, guys, we've only been living with all this tech and stuff for 50 years. The last 300,000 years, humans have been under, you know, God's sky and using nature uh, as a bigger part of their daily life, right? Today, we, we don't have the same accessibility. So I would recommend everybody uh, consider that for number two. Number three is... Um, make sure that there is some physical exercise happening on a daily basis. Because again, when you get that heart and blood flowing, it generally makes you feel better. You release dopamines, you get a natural high in your body, you feel more confident, more energized when you exercise. And this can be as simple as a 15-20 minute walk a day, 20 push-ups, whatever you're, you want to do right? Stretching and, you know, these types of things is important. Yoga, anything that helps your body um, when it comes to its strength and its uh, vitality. This also helps moods um, as well. Uh, number four, when possible, and it's safe, you know, try to uh, socialize people when it's safe and possible, depending on your area, because that also really helps when, you know, getting out of the funk of being in isolation and alienation. Uh, number five is don't assume you have nothing to do because of COVID, which means a lot of people are just on their computer all day watching Netflix or whatever. That's also not going to help you feel healthy or bright when you're spending way too much screen time on a daily basis. Uh, and that's why those other steps before this one um, I mentioned because it gives you some alternatives to just staying at home on a screen all day. Right. Um, and lastly, let's say, Number five for me has been um, to remember that this is, inshallah, going to be just a phase. Um, it's probably going to be a bit longer than most people imagined. I think many people were very optimistic about the summer and, and things getting, you know, quote unquote, back to normal. But things never go back to anything in life. Things only keep going forward. The point here is as we assimilate, accommodate, adapt to the new COVID circumstances, we're going to start living, um, you know, in a more public way, but it's just going to be different for a while. Like people are going to be wearing masks when you're outside or at a restaurant and you can't sit, seat as many people, but there are some places where these things will start to happen. This is something that will not likely last forever because nothing does. And um, consider that there you know, what, what is to come for your plans, whether it's going to college or going back to school or traveling or getting married or whatever, you know, all of these things, they're postponed. Um, but it's also a way that Allah teaches us, you know, you plan and Allah plans, you know, things don't always go according to my personal little plan. And that's okay, because the world isn't just about me or you. It's about all of us. And that means many things will happen that is inconvenient for a person, but it may be a very good thing for the human family. And it's just a very fascinating time that this is a tribulation that isn't just affecting Canada or USA. It's like everyone on the planet is dealing with this together. And perhaps it's given us, in a way, a sense of unity, right? 
that um, otherwise would be hard to accomplish. You know, maybe another version would be if aliens attacked the planet, we'd all come together finally, right? <laughs> it's like there wouldn't be uh, politics uh, stopping us from unifying as a species in that situation. And perhaps this, you know, um, biological uh, uh, threat can help us also recognize this um, collective struggle. So maybe that's uh, some some points there, but let me know if there's uh, more I can add if, if that wasn't what you were looking for. No, that's a great answer, um, Mr. Sarah Jeldon. You know, it's like this this will to survive sort of makes us all come together to find the best way out of the situation as soon as possible. But yeah, that should be everything. Is there anything else you want to mention or want to say? I just wanted to say thank you both, and I'm honored that you reached out. And um, inshallah, if you guys would like to discuss other topics in the future, I'd be happy to um, set up a call just like this and keep it simple, and we can have a conversation, inshallah. Thank you very much, inshallah. Uh, we also want to thank you for your time uh, for this interview. And not only for that, but also want to thank you for all the work that you do for the Islamic community via your podcast and all your other platforms and everything. It's truly amazing the work you do and everything that you say and your perspectives on everything. And I really enjoy listening to your podcasts as soon as they come out. So I just want to thank you again for, uh, you know, we're truly honored to have, to be able to interview you. My um, pleasure. My pleasure, gentlemen. Inshallah. Thank you very much, Mr. Sarah Jeldon. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a lovely rest of your week. You okay. too. Thank Stay you. Safe. Thank you, sir. Hayak Allah. Salaam alaikum.